Hello Android developers, my name is Mohsen and I'm back with another episode of interviews with Android community's active members. The main goal of these interviews is to get familiar with the Android developers' lifestyle, their technical opinion, and encouraging junior developers to join the fun by hearing their stories. My today's guest had three talks at three different DroidCon events and got a great positive feedback from the community. She had recently joined the dance company as software engineer lead and she will share with us her career path up to this point. But before we start, as you may already know, you can watch the interviews on my YouTube channel or listen to them by subscribing to the Android Developer Tips podcast on your favorite app. Without further ado, let's start. So welcome you all to Compostable Cheap and Animations Journey. Uh, for the people that don't know me, my name is Nicole Turk. I'm an Android developer at Clue. So now that you know my name, don't hesitate to say hi if you see me around. So, but with this out of the way, what are we going to be talking about today? We're going to be covering three main things. We're going to be talking about animation basics. We're going to be talking about animations in Compose. And of course, the most important part of this presentation, we're going to be talking about uh, I wanted this interview six months ago or even more. And then <laughs> both of us fall into lots of stuff and finally we are here. And yeah, introduce yourself. I, I want everyone to know you and then sure. we can start. Sounds good. Thank you for having me here. And yeah, I think we start playing this in the last Droicon Berlin and then the round of Droicons happen and then Christmas and everything. Me starting a new in a place anyway. Um, thank you for this. I really appreciate the inv invitation. Um, sure, I can introduce myself. Uh, so for those who don't know me, my name is Nicole Turk. I've been an Andre engineer already for more than 10 years. I feel old, them. Um, I, I am originally from Mexico. I am currently living in Berlin already for three years. And I'm currently working at Dance, which is an e-bike subscription company. So that is me. Uh, let's talk about Dance, if you're okay. Uh, sure. Your position right now is a software lead. What does it mean? Yes. What, what's your I, job? Um, Sure. Uh, I am actually started this uh, role on early December, so I've just been here for a couple of months. My position right now is not Android specific, it's software lead, uh, which means I am kind of a weird mixture of people manager slash uh, engineer on my free time, basically. But those are some like extra hats that I had to put on myself uh, because I was like, you know, feeling jittery and we had some space to, to grow on that area. So that's what mm -hmm. I need. So on cool. paper officially, I am a people manager, um, but in, in reality, I am also developing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I know. I think that's that's almost the next level for, for most of developers, that they have to do two things at the same time, management and development. And, yeah, and don't it's forget an interesting about mixture. Development. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree. <laughs> uh, right now it's evening, and uh, I like to know if you are a morning person or evening person. I I am a weird mixture. Like I am so an afternoon person. Like I feel more energized, like uh, in the afternoon, like afternoon basically. Uh, but due to my current position and my previous positions, I had to learn to be a morning person. 
<laughs> so I am kind of like a forced morning person uh, these days. How do you try to go to the zone? Do you, for example, listen to music? If yes, what type of music? If you want to share some playlists with us, if something else, just just give us some idea how, how it works for you. Yeah, um, I don't listen to much music, to be honest. Uh, actually, my husband always teases me that I only listen to the same playlist over and over since years ago. Um Bitch, uh, whenever I need to get like in the zone, you know, I get coffee, uh, I get like all my things set up. I put everything on mute because if not, that never works. And I put normally soundtrack of video games when I am like mm. working. Talking about video games, uh, are you also a video gamer or do you just listen to music? I, I do play video games. Uh, yeah. Okay. I like Interesting. Games. Okay. <laughs> uh, what games, type? Video Which games. <laughs> I currently have my PS5, uh, which is what I'm playing, but I normally play on my computer. Uh, so I am a PC gamer by heart, but I also have a lot of consoles like uh, PS5 because I want to play the exclusives there. Um, or also I have my Switch console, which I play when I am, you know, in bed. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I like my Interesting. Uh, what is it, What is the last game you played and finished? Not, not um, oh, I'm finished. That's a good question. I tend to be like playing three, four games at the same time, depending on the console I am. So if you count like rogue like games, uh, I've been playing a lot of Monster Train on the Switch, mm -hmm. which is a deck builder ish kind mm -hmm. of slave mm -hmm. inspire inspired. And I'm currently playing God of War two. Uh, I know I'm late to the party, so <laughs> I'm also <laughs> playing that one. Okay, cool. Good, I'm happy that you're a gamer. Uh, how, how did it uh, happen? How, when did you fall into this Android development position and decide to become an Android developer? Was it on purpose or it was just some, some company require, requirement or uh, how did it happen? Yeah, it's, it's actually a, a funny story. Um, just a bit of context, I'm originally a biotechnology engineer. So I didn't study anything regarding like, you know, software engineering. Um, but coding was my, my hobby uh, back those days. So when I was in college, I was a hungry student, so I had to work. Um, so I found a job as an iOS developer and that's what I did. And at some point in the company, they were like a small, you know, uh, incubating company from the uh, college I was studying at. They were like, hey, we already have our iOS application and we would like to develop for this new thing, the Android uh, ecosystem. Who is going to learn Android from these peeps to do it? And I was the lucky one. So I never went back. <laughs> you picked Android or Android picked you? <laughs> mm -hmm. I did. I volunteer and then I really liked the ecosystem more than the restrictive iOS back then. Uh, so yeah, I really liked it. Uh, and what was the first serious published application from you? Some something that went viral and then people just installed a company app or personal app. Yeah. Just the first one. I don't have a personal apps release. I most of my personal apps are for my personal use, to be honest. So I just have them in my phone. Um, but actually from this incubating company that I was working at, uh, we release a platform, um, that was a school tool. So we were not like releasing to the public per se, but we were releasing it for schools. Uh, 
and it was used by more than a thousand people at the time. It sounded like, you know, um, so that was kind of our series release because they were being used by several important schools in Mexico. Uh, so yeah, that was, those were interesting times. I think the project at the time that really stick to me was one called Matitec, um, which was an initiative uh, for like providing learning tools for marginalized communities in Mexico. Um, so we had to work with these really cheap, uh, outdated phones and do a lot of things and, you know, uh, hacks to make it work. And it was used for like a really big initiative in Mexico with just this Matitec. I think it's, it's done since years ago, uh, but at the time it was really interesting. Do, do you remember what was the minimum API or SDK you start with? Oh, we I actually started with Froyo and Gingerbread, and it was mostly with this super crappy devices. So it was not even like, you know, <laughs> end of the line Froyo. It was like, yeah, <laughs> these cheap devices that we had laying around. There you go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're getting old, I know. <laughs> yeah, it was pre-fragments, if you can believe it. <laughs> I know, I know. I've seen task everywhere. <laughs> I agree, yeah, yeah. I remember uh, there was nothing, there was no Glide, there was no Picasso. It, everything was from scratch, but yeah, I, I remember those days. You mentioned you were working as an Android developer for the past 10 years. How was your career path up to this point? Uh, was there any bumps going up, going down? And, and then you reach to this position. Yeah. Um, as you said, I was working while I was studying. Uh, so over there, it was like a half-time uh, Android developer. And at the time, of course, I dealt in everything because it was a small company. So I was doing iOS development, Android development, web development, uh, front-end and back-end on, on, on the website. I was doing some services on PHP. I felt so smart. Um, <laughs> Yeah, after that time, uh, when I graduated, I, of course, tried to like pursue my biotechnology careers. Uh, Notice there were not a lot of opportunities, and I was already working as a developer back then. So an opportunity came to me from another uh, bigger company in another place of Mexico that offered me like, you know, a nice position working with with names and streaming uh, applications. So I moved there. Uh, I I worked in really uh, a lot of projects. It was a consultancy. And then I jumped to another consultancy. Um, From there, I jumped to another place. And that other place was actually here in in Germany. Uh, And it was basically just a random person that contacted me one day on LinkedIn. Like, hey, Nicole, I see you're working over there. Uh, Don't you want to come to Germany and work for us? Um, So yeah, I just jumped again. and so far, it's been my track. Like I started with this small one, then I moved to the streaming apps, then for another bigger consultancy. I spent there a lot of years. Then to this uh, first company back over here in Germany, which was transportation-based. Um, jumped to another one and then this one. So basically, this has been like me jumping around companies. And in every jump, uh, I receive a small bump, of course, on like title um, and all of those niceties that come with it. So yeah, I, I didn't found any um, portal. I was lucky that at the time, you know, being an Android developer, especially a woman, Android developer was sexy. So <laughs> there were um, there were not uh, a lot of uh, blockers, so to say, for me, like uh, obtaining these roles, at least for me at the time. 
So yeah, that was my career. I just passed from a junior to a mid to a senior to now engineer leads a pretty streamlined, boring process, to be honest. Yeah. Along the way, did you somehow experience any imposter syndrome saying that, hey, this position is too much for me? Why they picked me or I cannot do it, maybe? Yeah, I I mean, to be, to be honest, I, I still do. Uh, and I feel like a lot of people still do. Um, and I do, like, when I was, like, moving, for example, from this small company that, that I used to do, like, as I say, it was a really hands-on. So I was, like, the only person that knew. So I didn't have anybody with whom to discuss. When I moved to bigger companies where I had a bigger team, uh, I felt like I was behind a lot of the time because they already knew uh, certain things because they have been working together for several months, years, yada, yada, yada. I was a new person uh, that never worked with a team. So it was challenging. So yeah, I did face that a lot. Uh, and I had like uh, a lot of afternoons where I was like, yeah, you know what? I, I probably need to invest some hours this afternoon to like learn about this, this and that. And it was so somehow it, I feel like it was never enough. Um and I think the moment I realized that it was not necessary was when I started actually giving talks about uh, specific topics, because I used to like go too deep on those afternoons digging things. And then people start asking me about it and explaining it when I noticed it, like, you know what? I do know these things um, and it's not so bad. So I think that's that's something that helped with that syndrome, imposter syndrome. <laughs> yeah, it's it's something that is still there. It's... I don't think it's ever going to go away 100% of the time. Um, but you just need to realize that everybody's in the same chip, basically. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. Uh, anyone who interviewed me, they all had this this feeling and they all learned how to manage it. And at, at the end, they found that the, the company who picked them was not stupid. They know what they are doing. And that, that's, that's the important part. Yeah. So you just have to trust yourself and use your knowledge and maybe learn exactly. something at the same time. Okay. Cool. Exactly. Cool. Like the best you can do is what you're already going to do. And mm -hmm. if you are not enough or you feel like you're not enough uh, and something doesn't work out, it's not on you. It's just, it's okay. It's part of it. It's a process. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. Uh, okay, as a as a woman in tech, uh, why do you think there are fewer women Android developers? For example, in Droidcon, <laughs> you can see some, but they are not comparable with number of men that you see. Uh, any idea? Any thoughts? Anything you'd like to share? Yeah, that's that's a bit of a complex topic. Um, in my opinion, because of course there's no like one answer for everything. Uh, but in my opinion, I feel like most of it has to be to social uh, reasons, at least uh, from my background. I, as I said, I come from Mexico, a place where there are a lot of places where women are not given the opportunity to select, like pursue like college or higher um, studies because they're giving like priority to the males or the brothers or whatever. And, and the woman is like, you know, groomed to be just a mother or something. Uh, I think that something of that still happens. And if you've like managed to pass that hurdle and get a higher education and, and pursue these things, then you have the other extra um, obstacle that is you're still a minority on this in these places. So it it some things can become uncomfortable for some woman to just be there and and, and be like the weird 
element on a team sometimes. Like if you get stares or like uh, people is not sure how to treat you, um, which again, I think is more of a social thing than a like, you know, technical thing. Um, so yeah, I, I think at least as I said, in my experience, those are the main two things. Like we still have a lot to like a big gap to cross uh, to like make these uh, areas are like spaces more inclusive for women, for them to feel comfortable there. Um, and also to like create more examples uh, for a woman to pursue. Because if you look up normally in these letters, you don't see a lot of women uh, in leadership positions, for example, or engineering positions. So it's quite hard to imagine what you need to do in order to get there if you don't see anyone there, you know? That's another uh, phase uh, that I have noticed, at least. But of course, there's no easy answer. There are a lot of components there. Uh, but personally speaking, I think uh, it's mostly social. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Social, cultural, uh, all of them affect women, unfortunately. But uh, do you agree that recently we see more? So the the next generation is is somehow evolving and changing and. I think the, they are the kids of uh, this generation, our generation, somehow. And and uh, since we don't have those barriers, they they do much better. They they are growing. They are jumping in, and I'm so excited to see that this change right away. But yeah. uh, do you also feel the same? I do, and that's actually something I was discussing with my husband on Troikon Berlin. Uh, because we attended uh, a couple of bigger events before and something that we noticed on the last one is that the ratio was still not like 50-50, of course, but there were a lot of women there. And there were a lot of faces, for example, on Google that were like women that were giving talks, that were participating. And that's something that is really refreshing to see. And, and it's a really good change, in my opinion. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, totally agree. Yeah, thanks for bringing it up. And... You you mentioned you have code for iOS, but any any other platform that you have code for? Uh, as I said, I started as an iOS developer. I haven't touched it for a while, though, so my knowledge is like ancient Objective C. Um, I am I am aiming to learn Swift soonish, um, and I actually recently started also learning TypeScript um, to help with some tasks on backend. And I used to play with PHP, as I said, and also Python. So. Uh, I've been delving here and there. I'm also playing with multi-platform <laughs> with Kotlin. I used to play with Flutter. Um, I, I delve a little bit on like PhoneGap and React Native at some point. So it's not that I consider myself a 100% great developer in those languages, uh, but I created small projects with those already. So yeah, I think work-related things, right? These days is TypeScript and Android, basically. And and knowing all those languages and and platforms, if you want to compare, what's the aspect that you like about Android development, or is it anything, <laughs> or you prefer to do <laughs> PHP, for example? <laughs> I mean PHP. Um, love it or hate it, it's there. I I think something that I really like about Android is the community and all the resources that are about it, like. At the time, I remember that when I did the switch from iOS to Android, having all that freedom of like just doing and hacking stuff and, and not caring about a lot of things, it was really refreshing and just like playing around and seeing it in your phone, it was great. 
Um, and these days, uh, I still feel like the community is super strong on, on the Android uh, ecosystem. So that's something that definitely helps a lot. So for example, if you want to do something or you want to like do something fun, probably you're going to find someone where you can just, you know, discuss about it or hack it or someone already did something similar and you can just talk hours and hours and, and do something. So I think that's the big uh, part that I really like about Android uh, specifically. And, and also, I mean, it's mobile and I really like to do something that I can carry around in my phone. So that's that's another thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I always told in my uh, interviews, I, I love this community. They are really helping and nice people. They're just, they're just around. And as you said, they, they're open to spend hours for your problem. And yeah. without any, any game, they just, they just share the exactly. knowledge. Exactly. <laughs> they're <laughs> super open and they create like a bazillion libraries. And they, they like, you know, if you just want to hack around, you can just also do that too. Uh, you mentioned KMM, but at first I'd like to ask about Flutter. Uh, what do you think? Should someone who wants to become an Android developer start with Flutter? Or in general, what's your thoughts about Flutter? <laughs> Tricky question, huh? Um, Flutter peeps, don't hate me, please. Uh, personally, I don't see myself investing more in Flutter uh, these days. Uh, I used to play around with it before the Composes and before having a more robust uh, Kotlin multi-platform platform. Um, so it was really fun to play at, uh, but I feel like Dart versus Kotlin, it's the main um, kind of barrier that I see there. Like if you learn Kotlin, you can use Kotlin in a lot of places, but if you learn Dart, these days only Flutter is using Dart. Um, so that's something that I, I always take into account whenever I need to recommend like someone that is interested on Android or like developing in general to learn a, a new language. Um, I always suggest to learn a language that is uh, a bit more widely used uh, versus a small Nietzsche place. So that's that's my take on it personally. I don't hate Flutter. As I said, I play around with it. I have a small project somewhere with Flutter. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like that's my main uh, concern with it. I'm not saying it's wrong. I know that a lot of big companies are switching to Flutter and a lot of big companies are releasing uh, applications with it because it's really uh, it's really good in comparison also with other multi-platform platforms. Um, but, but yeah, personally, I, I still will stick with Kotlin. Yeah, yeah. The, their community is also growing. So yeah, anyone who likes Flutter... Go and do it. It doesn't mean that we yeah. don't like it because we, we did native from the day one. Exactly. And now switching one step back is, is maybe too much for us. But uh, what about KMM? I, I never had a, a, a enterprise product on KMM, uh, but I played a lot. I even did something with Raspberry Pi and, and shared some code between some console uh UI and Raspberry Pi at the same time. It was super fun, but I, I never did it in enterprise. How, how was your experience? Yeah, no, not that you mentioned, we also never release anything with KMM. Uh, KMM uh, we only uh, do small projects. Um, most of the projects that I do with it are personal or for like talks. <laughs> but for enterprise solutions, we haven't really go too far with it. Um, 
We had a small project in one of the consultancies that was uh, using it, uh, but it was really early at the time. It was like five years ago, four years ago that we were using multi-platform Kotlin for it. And we had to like develop a lot of plugins in order for like make sure that things work correctly. Also, it was a PD streaming app. So, you know, how those things can be. So, yeah. I think iOS developer feel the same about using Swift and Flutter and, and the same the same feeling between Swift and, and KMM. Yeah. So finding some iOS developer who is okay to step down from Swift and do Kotlin might not be that much easy unless yeah. they are just somehow somehow joined recently. But yeah, yeah in, in general I also like the idea. And and um the the whole package, the whole platform it has evolved a lot and it's it's much better from day one. So everything is right in place and with with one line of uh Configuration in Gradle file, you, you get everything for every CPU architecture. And that's, that's super exactly. cool. Yeah, the drawbacks is that you still uh, lose a little bit of the native API, so to say, sometimes here and there. But for the smaller applications, for example, like events applications or something like that, I see a great use case for it. Um, but I mean, we'll still need to maintain the old uh, applications anyway. So... I don't think native is going anywhere. Let's start with the main question. What is actually Canvas? A way to define it is that Canvas is a UI element that allows us to draw stuff in there. So it's kind of like, you know, a real world Canvas. You just have a blank slate where you can start drawing shit. Oops. Um, so how do we join this Canvas? Uh, before starting to jump into code and everything, uh, we're going to be over a strategy that I like to follow whenever I'm going to draw something in there. And that is answering three questions. The first one is, what do we want to draw? The second one is, how are we going to draw it? And the third one is, where are we going to draw it? Don't worry. We'll, we'll take a deeper look on how to answer these questions. I, I was at DroidCon on your talk about Shapes. I don't want to spoil it. I, I, I put the link in the description so people can go on and watch it and enjoy it. Nice, but thank besides you. that, was that your latest contribution to the Android community? If yes, just, just give us some idea. Where did you bring the idea? And how did you manage to add such a nice story behind? <laughs> About my cheap... Um... I actually did a trilogy last year. So uh, there were three talks about cheap. Um, the first one that I gave in Berlin was actually the second part, which was the animations one. Um, the first one was Canvas that I gave in New York, um, but I originally gave that one in the Android meetup in Berlin. And the last one, I actually did a nice contribution with Tasha Ramesh about like creative coding and cheap. Uh, it was really fun. Uh, I highly recommend that one. Um, but yeah, how do you get the idea? I don't know. I was just like playing around with animations one day and playing around with canvas. And I was just, you know, randomly thinking about what to do with it because I wanted to give a talk about it. And then I, uh, for some reason, I was also thinking on Flate Runner, you know, like do electric cheap, uh, like do Andrew's dream of electric cheap. And I was like, composable cheap, do Andrew's dream of composable cheap. <laughs> And, and basically that phrase, you just spurred the last of it. Um, 
And yeah, that's why I decided to do cheap. I just did it first with Canvas and then just started animating around and had a lot of fun. So that's where it came from, basically. Just one day randomly, actually, I can show you the signs that you have them still around here. Um, but yeah, I normally just start jolting ideas. And oh, yeah, here they are. <laughs> and this is the original cheap, actually. <laughs> <laughs> so. Next to say. Yeah, originally I was going to be like jumping into a dream and doing things, but of course it was too complicated. So decided to go with a simpler approach and just animate it. But yeah, it was just me jolting one day, thinking of what and how to present these things. And it came to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, cool. Uh, okay, uh, for myself, talking in front of people is too much pressure. And and to to make it harder, I also add some some touch of life coding. I, I believe you have seen it. But uh, how do you bear the pressure? How how do you make it easy for yourself to to in, enjoy the talk and then do not forget anything and you know prepare yourself before starting? Um, yeah. To be to be honest, I really enjoy giving talks and, and explaining things, and that has been me since. Uh, as far as I remember. So I have that slight advantage on that. Um, I really like talking about topics that are interesting to me in front of people. Uh, regarding the topic on how do I prepare myself uh, so I don't forget anything, basically just practice. Um, a lot of people think that just like giving a presentation is jolting something for a couple of hours and just presenting it. And don't get me wrong, those talks can also work if you're like super savvy and you're like super confident. But personally, if I'm going to give a big talk, for example, in a Joy-Con, I just prepare with weeks in advance. Uh, like I start like creating a small story. I create like, how do I want to jump from like this topic and how do I want to do it? And then I start like breaking it in parts, trying to like, you know, over and over again, while I'm like coding the project, I'm building the slides. I just go over and over again from oh, like from it until it feels right. Um, and that also helps me on like not feeling nervous or stressed when I am talking about it because I've been telling the same story for like weeks already. It's it's easier uh, to present it, and, and and I'm not like going it to the point where like I learn exactly what to word that I need to tell. Of course not. It's just learning the idea that I want to transmit in each of the steps of the story. Basically, that's my trick. Uh, so I just define an objective, how this is going to flow, and then I just talk about it. I normally jolt more scripts for like key moments that I like when I'm practicing, but that's it. Practice. That helps a lot. Do you, do you also have some rubber duck, some, some colleague to use? I actually got a rubber duck on the last oh, really? <laughs> He was given to me. <laughs> By by Knea. Hi. Uh, she's great. I met her at Dracon, by the way. Um, mm -hmm. But before having that duckling, I basically just used my husband. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. He's not an Android developer. Uh, so, like, trying to explain topics for non-Android developers is harder because you need to make sure that, you know, the story really flows. So it helped me a lot, uh, like, perfectioning these uh, stories. He now understands a lot of it because I've been giving several talks <laughs> And he was learning a little bit to understand better. But yeah, I, I normally use him as my rubber duck. <laughs> but uh, he is a software engineer. 
So yes, yes. In another, okay. Yeah, that, he's, that he's, he's a software engineer, but not on Android. Okay, okay. Now, I also have this feature. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bug, nice. but it's a feature. So, yeah, that's, that's my robot up since the past nice. few months. But, yeah. Um, the, the Android, in general, is a fast-paced technology. It, even last year, compared to this year, uh, the compost was not that much huge and, you know, it, it was dagger, there was no hilt and things like that. How, how do you keep yourself up to the speed? How, how do you follow the news? Yeah, um, I'm, of course, subscribed to several, like, weekly digests. Uh, I'm also following several people on social media that are in the media <laughs> of Android. So I normally use that. I also have a good friend of mine that keeps himself updated a lot and normally is the one bringing me things uh, like, hey, did you hear about this? Let's try it out. Um, so that's that's how I normally keep myself updated. And whenever we find like something or interesting that we can add in a real world project, for example, like in something that we're working on, um, we just propose it, try it out. Let's see if it works. And while we're like developing the feature, we're learning about it. So that's how I, I get practice on it too. And if it's something that kind of fit there, I just create a small project. That's how I have a bazillion of small projects around. Do you dedicate a fixed time for learning those stuff? For example, every day, one hour in the morning, or I don't know, once a time in a week, or once a time per month, or it, it just happened. You just see the topic and jump on it, and, and that's it. it yeah, it, it depends. Um, like, whenever I am, for example, going to give a talk, or like uh, want to learn a bit more about something that I read somewhere, I define slots. Like, hey, I am going to be learning uh, about this this weekend, and I'm going to do a small project about it, because I want to get the grasp of, of whatever I want to learn. Um, but I'm not normally not that rigid with myself. I normally just like reading when I have the time, like I go over like uh, my emails on like the DJs, checking what is new on the Android developers channels. Uh, but unless something catches my eye, I don't invest like uh, a lot of time on it. So I'll say like it's both. Like normally I don't have a slow time, but if I find something interesting, I just slot time for myself for the weekend normally to go over it. What are your hobbies after work? Um, how do you spend your non-working time? If my background was not clear enough, <laughs> I like board games. Um, I like games in general and stories. So if I'm not playing an RPG, uh, video games, board games, I am reading a book, uh, going out for a walk when my husband pesters me a lot because I I, I love staying home and reading and playing. Uh, so he's the one that I'm always like, go out. <laughs> um, yeah, I like I like those things. It really relaxes me. If I'm not playing with something, I am coding something and playing with something on code. So that's also something else I tend to do. Do you suggest any board game? I mean, it depends on what you like. Uh, and if someone asks me of my favorite board game, it changes depending on what mood do I have. But if you want a good board game for starters, I highly recommend Splendor. It's my all-time favorite uh, it's about collecting gems and trade routes and everything. It's really nice. Azul is also really nice. Those two. 
Okay, Nicole, do you have any fun fact about yourself that you want to share with us? Um, sure. I mean, I've been sharing a couple of them already. Um, let me think of a good one. Well, actually, I am originally from Cancun, Mexico, which is a really sunny place. But personally, I really don't like the sun that much. I really like the crummy weather in Berlin, even if a lot of people complain about it. I really like the lack of sun. Um, but yeah, I am a weirdo like that. Yeah, I was going to ask exactly the the opposite, saying that, hey, coming from Mexico, how do you survive in Germany? <laughs> but it sounds like someone likes it. Yeah, I, I do like it. I I am I I prefer my gold, and, and you know, having like three layers of clothes is my thing. Like, yeah, I, mean, I feel like I like feeling cozy. Do you also do Android development for fun, for in your free time, and not any work project? I do. Uh, as I said, most of the applications that I do are for personal use, um, so I don't release anything to the store. I do have my developer account somewhere. Uh, but yeah, I do. I create small helpers for board games. Um, I create uh, funny ideas that I get. Like, for example, the cheap, originally one of my funny projects uh, that is started and it just evolved. So yeah, I do. Especially when I'm learning things. Uh, I code for fun. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, we all kind of got affected by COVID and pandemic. <clears throat> I'd like to know uh, how the how the lockdown affected your work and lifestyle. It did affect me. Uh, I mean, it did. Uh, just a bit of context. I actually moved to Germany like one month before um the pandemic really struck and everything just went into lockdown. Um, I was actually trapped in Mexico for a couple of months because planes were also uh, closed. So yeah, it, I was really kind of preferring working from home, um, but I had to adapt myself to a new country. Uh, I had to adapt myself to a new like language in general and all the, like, you know, the new things that come from moving from one country to the other. And on top of that, I had the pandemic in there. Um, so I feel like my social uh, like social life got affected um, because I basically was locked in here. But work-related, uh, I had to adapt on like, hey, instead of like meeting people in the office, I'm just going to start like, you know, messaging people like crazy. Um, I already had some of those skills because back in Mexico, normally your clients are in the United States or some other places. So you are used to this asynchronous communication already, but I had to relate a lot more on that than before. Uh, so that's something that really uh, hit me. And another thing that I also noticed is that a lot of people were not used to it. So there was this shift of like training people about being nice and talking with each other even if you didn't sell them uh, so that was something that also affected me like the teams not being used of this new setup of working remotely 100% of the time um, it was an interesting challenge and an interesting shift of mentality because I feel a lot of people were always on this on this thing of like oh this is temporary so let's just like use this patch for now instead of really thinking on long-term solutions on like hey 
remote is here for staying. Like, how are you going to solve the communication issues, for example? Or how are you going to be promoting uh, team spirit or like a feeling of belonging and all of that? So instead of that, they were just saying like, oh, let's wait until COVID is gone, you know? So that's that part of like making people and, and the teams feel closer was the part that got affected the most in my experience. Uh, these days, I feel people is more used to it. Uh, but at the time, it was a big, uh, a big topic, basically. I, I can say people also learn how to work remotely. And that was yes, cool. exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And as I said, the part that got affected the most for me was the social part. Like I was already working remotely, so it was okay. I, I didn't have to learn that part. But the social part uh, was interesting. Uh, let's say a close friend of you asking you, mm -hmm. uh, hey, I want to start Android development. Do you suggest that he or she start doing it? Or you say, hey, <laughs> don't fall into this trap. Go and do something else. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I always going to recommend Android. Um, I, I really think the community is really nice. There are a lot of resources. And there is, like, at least in my experience, I haven't experienced a lot of gatekeeping, you know? Like, hey, you're not cool enough to be an Android developer, yada, yada, yada. Uh, I think on the other side, like this community is really welcoming and it doesn't matter like your background, like what do you study, like what are your skills or whatever. It's more like the enthusiasm of like, you know, starting to code on this thing. So I feel that is a really nice environment to start coding or your coding career, even if you don't have like, as me, an engineering background or like software um, things. So I, I would always recommend Android. Like, yeah, you want to start something, go Android. It's a real self-contained environment. You can do a lot of things. There are a lot of resources out there that you don't need to pay a time for it. And you don't even need a high-end, I mean, discussable, uh, high-end computer in order to run <laughs> it. Let's, let's put aside, you know, like running it nicely, uh, but you can manage to run it even if you don't have the best of the best. Uh, now that you're kind of responsible to arrange teams, I believe. So uh, how do you like your team? Do you like all of them to be senior or a mixture of senior, junior, or, or no junior, just mid-level and senior? Um, give me some idea and, and why. Yeah. Uh, personally, and this is something I've been advocating and um, all my, my current and past roles as a team lead or chapter lead or whatever you want responsible of the team is I always have felt that having a nice mixture of like seniorship it's really healthy for the teams like you have like super senior people that is there to like coach the rest you have like me developers are in between or like hey I want to do these things I have this great idea I want to do this and then you have junior engineers that are going to be challenging everything that everyone is doing and did you know having that extra uh, kind of drive to learn new things. It, it it really, in my in my opinion and experience, it really like pushes the rest of the team to like also be like you know trying to learn new things, trying to understand better what they're trying to do, and really try to explain um something to like other seniors or like even if it's like higher senior, lower senior, whatever. Um, it helps a lot on like the team feeling together and also like learning like deeper concepts and, and growing together, basically, which is the main objective in my opinion for teams. So yeah, I, I am a high advocate of having junior developers in the mixture. 
let's say the same friend who asked you, hey, should I do Android? <laughs> the <laughs> same friend is asking you, hey, uh, should I start with Java or jump into Kotlin? If I do not start with Java, do I miss something? Um, I would say Kotlin 100%. Um, in my opinion, there's like, I mean, unless you have a really specific use case or a really specific, uh, company or legacy code that you will need to maintain, for example, or that you're aiming to do, then I don't think Java makes sense this at this time. Like Kotlin is easier in my opinion, and then it makes more sense and it's more forgiving, uh, in a lot of cases. So I would just highly recommend to go with Kotlin. Like that's the official language anyway. And most of the documentation, if not everything, is already in Kotlin. So you shouldn't be missing anything. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Uh, let's say you want to start a new position. Uh, how do you prepare yourself for interview? That's a really good question. Um, I've been in both like hiring and being hired of that coin. Uh, so normally what I do, at least my process is, First, I, of course, research about the company beforehand, like understand, like, what are their expectations? What is the expectation for the role? What is the tech stack? If it's not posted on the job opening, I normally is the first thing I ask on like the screening, uh, uh, screen part of the process, because there's normally a screening part. Um, after getting that information, normally I tend to use, you know, Go and research, like ask about the steps of like how this this interview is going to happen. Like if there's going to be a lead code kind of of, of step, if it's going to be like a small project, if it's going to be pair programming, um, depending on what of those steps is going to be. I just grab one weekend or one afternoon or a couple of afternoons and start practicing on that. So for example, if there's going to be a small project or like a pair programming session, I just grab the tech stack. Go over it, create a small, like, you know, the usual a list that recovers something from the web, whatever using the text stack that they're using to see if I still, you know, just, you know, get out of the rust because normally you're like working on specific things. So just to make sure that you're not missing anything at a time and you're agile when you're like doing uh, the interview. And if it's a lead code kind of thing, I just go and grab some <laughs> lead code challenges and write something. Um, and practice. But yeah, that's that's normally what I do. Um, I also make sure to prepare a couple of questions beforehand. Like if there's something I'm interesting about, like, hey, they're using the tech stack. Uh, and if there's something that jumps to me, it's like, hey, why are you doing this instead of that? Or like, what were your like train of thoughts to like end up with this? Or like, why are you asking me about this? Um, there are some questions that I normally also prepare. Uh, because an interview is not only for you, it's also for them. So that's also something uh, I, I try to make sure I have beforehand too. As you mentioned, uh, interview is some kind of two-way communication. But uh, how do you pick uh, red flags from a team or a company that you're interviewing and say, hey, I won't continue? <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. I, of course, stalk them first, like <laughs> whatever I can find information about them. Um, of course, you cannot go with just one uh, bad review or one good review, which you need to like um, try to read most of what you can. Uh, but when you're in the interview, I have noticed uh, that people is a bit 
uh, shy about speaking ill of the company, of course, because they're trying to sell it. Um, so normally what I do is ask about why, like what they like about the company or their position or like the process or like just going on different parts of it. And if they only answer with like perks of like, hey, there's good money or like we have really nice vacation days and they're not mentioning anything about the team or the spirit or like any other team related uh, topics, then probably there's something there. Um, and also the other way around, uh, I, I tend to notice that when there's an issue and one specific like topic, for example, the, there's a lot of pressure around. If you ask that question to several people, because normally in a process, you see several people and nobody mentions anything about it is because they're trying to avoid it. <laughs> so that's a tip that I, I normally use, uh, for that. And of course, if they don't mention anything, you can try to ask directly and you can see the faces of like, ah, <laughs> Um, but yeah. And, and all of us got rejected from interviews. Uh, how do you cope with them? Because I know people that somehow get depressed and, and maybe stop applying for a while yeah. and until they come up again. Uh, how, how do you try to not fall into that trap? Yeah, something that I tend to do, and this is general on like rejection or like failing on something, not specifically only for uh, being rejected on in an interview, is that I try to be patient with myself. Um, that's the most important part. Like if I want to feel bad, I let myself like feel bad. Uh, it's it's fine. Um, but I just make sure that I don't let myself go too deep in that. It's like, okay, I time box it, so to say. Like, okay, I'm going to let you feel bad. For a couple of days after that, that's it. Let's focus on the next thing. Um, because it's okay to feel bad and it's okay to feel rejected and it's okay to like all these uh, emotions. But at the same time, it's not the end of the world. And if it didn't work, it was because of something. Maybe you were not the rightest fit. Maybe it just didn't work out and that's it. Or it was something external that the process finished and you didn't make it to the last step. Uh, like faster and that's not you um so I, I just try to see it that way like i let me find myself feel bad but then i just pick it up it's okay there are going to be more opportunities in the future and if i am not making it here i also make sure to ask for feedback uh and understand what happened or like why my process didn't went through because that way i can prepare myself better for the next time um so that's that's normally what i tend to do and i, I think it's a kind of the way I tend to look at things like overall is like if it didn't work it didn't work I did my best it's okay let's just ask for feedback improve see what's the next thing mm -hmm, mm -hmm. cool uh, I'm asking again for the same friend uh, <laughs> <laughs> how a junior uh, Android developer should get Nicole thumbs up uh, is it being too much technical or knowing all the APIs or other stuff that you look at? Yeah, that's a, a really good question. Um, I feel like for juniors specifically, and not only juniors, but this is a general, like uh, for people, I tend to focus mostly on the cultural feed, the eagerness of like learning new topics, and also how comfortable I feel talking with them during the interview um, than, you know, the technical part of things. Like, 
the hard part, at least in my opinion, is a cultural fit and the energy that the people is bringing. The technical part can be learned afterwards, and that's totally okay, especially for juniors. I'm not expecting, like, you know, like they know everything. Um, so if they're eager, if they're like, uh, they research beforehand because they, you know, they they are interested in what is happening. Um, that's a huge uh, boost on like the grade they get on the interview. If we want more technical side of things, I am interested on like learning what they're learning and what are the things that they want to um, get better at? Um, why are they picking certain APIs over others? And also like seeing them keep themselves updated. That's also another huge uh, boost. Like I'm not expecting them to know like, you know, the front and the back and super deep about the APIs. <laughs> But at least, like they know about the APIs uh, and they know what is the the new thing on Android. Um, that also speaks volumes. Let's go back to senior developers. What's what's your definition of being a senior developer? Sure. Um, how would I define a senior developer? For me, a senior developer is someone I can like trust to take a project from the beginning to the end with little supervision. That's basically how I define it. Um, someone that doesn't need a lot of handholding or support. And I am confident that they're just going to uh, take into account most of the edge cases. And it comes with experience, sadly. So that's that's basically how I would define it. But does, does it mean that that senior developers should know everything or just know how to drive it? Yeah, no, it, it doesn't mean like nobody knows everything. Uh, me, at, like even at this stage, like I know all the APIs, but I probably forget like I need to do X or Y when I'm setting it up and it's totally fine. I can just Google it. So that's why it is there. Um, so I, I don't feel a senior developer is measured by the quantity of knowledge they have. It's more of their approach of things and planning overall. Um, like, yeah, I'm expecting them to know about the APIs. I am expecting them to know about the new things that are happening because I also expect them to be updated, but I'm not expecting them to know like everything from the get-go. So yeah, that's, that's how I would define that part of a senior. Uh, you mentioned something about effective Googling. Uh, do you have any <laughs> any tricks, any any thoughts that can help a junior developer or even senior developer to get to answer much faster? Yeah, I mean, it depends on the scenario. Um, but I think it goes hand to hand on what I was mentioning about knowing about the APIs. I feel like keeping yourself updated on like what are the things that are coming up and what are the APIs that are over this puzzle, it's a huge help. Like you don't need to know like the deeps, as I said, and you don't need to know how to set them up, but at least you know about them. Like, hey, you need to do this uh, geofencing thing. And probably you heard about that in a talk or like you read about it. So you know that it exists. So you can like easily think about, oh, is this API? Let's Google it. So that's that's something that has helped me a lot, like keeping myself updated and, and, and reading about different things that we can do. Um, Otherwise, I will say like just trying to Google the specifically, like you want puntual facts, trying to Google the specifically like for the Android documentation. I think these days is a really good resource. Um, 
back in my days, uh, Android documentation was a bit lacking, uh, but these days it's really good. Uh, so if you want to look for something, probably there's already something in the documentation. And I highly recommend going there and also checking out the now in Android uh, code base. It has a lot of things that are already uh, covered in there. Yeah, yeah, that, that's that's the benefit those active attendees in meetups and uh, droidcons somehow achieve, you know? True. You just go there, someone just share some idea, you're not going to use it tomorrow in your app, maybe. But at least at the back of your head, you you know such a thing exists. And, and when the topic comes up, you say, oh, I've heard this somewhere else. Exactly. But cool. Yeah, thanks exactly. for mentioning it. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. precisely what I tell everyone when they ask me like about these conferences and talks and meetups. The objective of those places is not to learn how to do these things or like to learn to apply them 100%. It's to know about them and to know they exist. Uh, so whenever someone mentions something similar, it's like, I heard about this before. So it's possible. And you can probably always reach out to the people that present it and ask about it. So <laughs> The next step is to morph it. And in order to morph something, the first step is to decide what properties in there you're going to be changing. This can be something like color, it can be something like size, and once you decide which which of these properties you're going to change, then you just need to change them smoothly over time, which coincidentally is the definition of morphing. Um, For those that have been here for some time, this sentence right there may sound familiar. And that's because some people use this phrase exactly to define animations. So yeah, you got us. Our process, in summary, is to create an animation. But in this case, instead of layering everything of the work inside the animation framework, we're going to be drawing each of the frames ourselves. Don't worry, we're going to get to it. Don't be scared. I'd like to know some of your technical opinions in general. Sure. Uh, don't you miss Java after using I Puppy? I don't. <laughs> I actually I actually had to go back uh, a couple of years ago. I had a legacy code thing that I had to fix, and it felt so slow in Java. You have no idea. I keep messing up the you know semicolon at the end. It was like, why do we used to do this? <laughs> yeah, how people used to do that. Uh, let's say you go back to that for your time. Uh, which library from today you will get by yourself to that for your oh. time? And you only oh. have one one option. You want retrofit. That's it. <laughs> okay. Okay. Retrofit. <laughs> that was easy. Yeah. That's so smart because it comes with OKSTP. Writing the thing with scale back then. So yeah, no. Yeah. Um, maybe uh, I kind of know the answer, but uh, what package in, in Android Jetpack you like the most and you use the most nowadays? These days, of course, Compose. Um, and of course, Hilt. Uh, but yeah, those are the big ones. I, I am also going to have always a special place in my heart for Room. I know it's tricky and I know it has its, its failings, but I was uh, working with pure SQLite at some point, and room is so much nicer. Yeah. <laughs> so probably slow, but nice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
talking about Jetpack Compose, uh, how did you get along with it? Uh, and if you're using actively and you're expert, uh, do you have any suggestion for for those apps that are already using the layouts and want to migrate to Compose? Sure. Um, I actually, when the Compose uh, craze started, I was playing with Flutter. Um, so I kind of already had that uh, idea on building layouts uh, using the same format, so to say. So moving to the declarative UI things was really straightforward for me. And it was a really nice a uh, refreshing way to see views on Android because XMLs and just like creating lists was uh, for a reason that was one of the main interview uh, challenges because, you know, you had to know like about everything, recycler views, adapters, sales, yada, yada, yada. So it was a really nice jump. And regarding suggestions, I would highly recommend that you think about going on a hybrid approach. Like... You know, we have uh, the composable view that you can add, even if you're using like XMLs or fragments and everything, you can start integrating Compose there. So I think at least for the beginning, that's a really nice approach. And it's easier to sell uh, to like managers and product people. Um, and it's going to improve your experience uh, with it. So that's my recommendation. Start small. Uh, and then when you have a better hang of it, then start going crazy. Okay. Uh, I think back in three or four years ago, I, I was hearing a lot about TDD in, in my interviews. Now, now it's not that much, but what do you think about TDD in Android? Uh, is it a, a reality or is it a myth? And have you ever, ever tried to do it? Yeah, that's, that's right. I, I don't hear it about it anymore. I didn't notice. Um, I work on teams that were trying to do it. Um, I personally have never seen it really applied on Android and mobile developer in general, in development in general. Um, so yeah, there were some plans, people like were writing the test beforehand and they were trying it out. But at the end, because there was always this rush of like getting features out, um, uh, tests got to the side, features got pushed and tests were at some point even for forgotten um and, and and some cases don't even like people didn't even went back and created them which is a shame um which i personally have never used cdd correctly basically uh so i i have no experience with it and i also don't feel that i am missing it but like i am uh, lacking it i feel like my way of coding like just have the feature start hacking at it thinking about how i'm going to do it and then just doing it and after the fact, creating the test uh, has worked for me so far. So like spinning it around, uh, I don't see the gain of it. Like if people is used to that, sure, it makes sense. But it, it doesn't like, feels like I'm missing out, basically. Yeah, true. And and you, you mentioned uh, writing tests. Uh, when you estimate a ticket, how much time do you dedicate to, to testing? And, and do you mention it during estimation or you just say, this is what I should do and you don't need to, you don't like to leave anything left? It's, it's been a while since I, I estimated tickets. I, I personally feel like estimations normally uh, complicate things. Uh, this is my like um, crazy idea about estimation. So I frankly believe like estimation just uh, 
waste some time sometimes. But when you need to estimate things and, and I give something, I definitely consider you need testing for that. Um, it depends on the task. If the task is purely like uh, kind of Android backend, uh, like you're like trying to not know refactor um, databases or like data layers or like something like that, I would consider kind of like just double the time for like testing and creating like tests because you're going to be testing those layers heavily. But if it's a feature that is mostly UI focused, uh, like changing the design of something, uh, I normally don't tend to unit test UI. I normally just tend to like uh, test uh, data layers or, and of course, your models. Um, so basically a business logic. So in those cases, I don't um, consider unit tests uh, at all. So it depends. If it's too UI focused, I would say like 0%, like I don't, I don't need it. Um, if it's like super heavy on that, I just double the time for tests. And everything falling in between, of course, just falls in between. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But yeah, definitely, unit tests needs to be considered, basically. Yeah, yeah. And and what about code coverage? Uh, what do you think about this number? Does it mean a high code quality, or uh, some people even uh, discuss that higher code coverage means higher test maintenance, which is which is even even worse than having no test. Yeah, I I am also not a fan of test coverage uh, numbers. Um, in my experience, every time someone tried to enforce a certain level of test coverage, it just created like a sluggish build times because you were like doing the test coverage check and you ended up with a lot of tests that didn't make any sense at all. Or like we're just like reaching because someone asked them to write them. So it was like just, you know, lazy tests. Uh, that's how I call them, basically, which is the main objective in my opinion for teams. So yeah, I, I am a high advocate of having junior developers in the mixture. Let's say the same friend who asked you, hey, should I do Android? <laughs> the <laughs> same friend is asking you, hey, uh, should I start with Java or jump into Kotlin? If I do not start with Java, do I miss something? Um, I would say Kotlin 100%. Um, in, in my opinion, there's... Like, I mean, unless you have a really specific use case or a really specific uh, company or legacy code that you will need to maintain, for example, or that you're aiming to do, then I don't think Java makes sense this at this time. Like, Kotlin is easier, in my opinion, and, and it makes more sense and it's more forgiving uh, in a lot of cases. So I would just highly recommend to go with Kotlin. Like, that's the official language anyway. And... Most of the documentation, if not everything, is already in Kotlin, so you shouldn't be missing anything. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Uh, let's say you want to start a new position. Uh, how do you prepare yourself for interview? That's a really good question. Um, I've been in both, like hiring and being hired of that coin. Uh, so normally, what I do, at least my process is first, I of course research about the company beforehand, like understand like what are their expectations, what is the expectation for the role, what is the tech stack. If it's not posted on the job opening, I normally is the first thing I ask on like the screening uh, uh, screen part of the process because there's normally a screening part. Um, after getting that information, normally I tend to use, you know, Go and research, like ask about the steps of like how this this interview is going to happen. Like if there's going to be a 
lead code kind of of, of step, if it's going to be like a small project, if it's going to be per programming, um, depending on what of those steps is going to be. I just grab one weekend or one afternoon or a couple of afternoons and start practicing on that. So for example, if there's going to be a small project or like a pair programming session, I just grab the tech stack, go over it, create a small, like, you know, the usual a list that recovers something from the web, whatever using the tech stack that they're using to see if I still, you know, just, you know, get out of the rust because normally you're like working on specific things. So just to make sure that you're not missing anything at a time and you're agile when you're like doing uh, the interview. And if it's a lead code kind of thing, I just go and grab some lead code challenges and write something um, and practice. But yeah, that's that's normally what I do. Um, I also make sure to prepare a couple of questions beforehand. Like if there's something I'm interesting about, like, hey, they're using the tech stack. Uh, and if there's something that jumps to me, it's like, hey, why are you doing this instead of that? Or like, what were you like? train of thoughts to like end up with this or like, why are you asking me about this? Um, there are some questions that I normally also prepare uh, because an interview is not only for you, it's also for them. So that's also something uh, I, I try to make sure I have beforehand too. As you mentioned, uh, interview is some kind of two-way communication, but uh, how do you pick uh, red flags from a team or a company that you're interviewing and say, hey, I won't continue? <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. I, of course, stalk them first, like <laughs> whatever I can find information about them. Um, of course, you cannot go with just one uh, bad review or one good review, which you need to like um, try to read most of what you can. Uh, but when you're in the interview, I have noticed uh, that people is a bit uh, shy about speaking ill of the company, of course, because they're trying to sell it. Um so normally what I do is ask about why, like what they like about the company or their position or like the process or like just going on different parts of it. And if they only answer with like perks of like, hey, there's good money or like we have really nice vacation days and they're not mentioning anything about the team or the spirit or like any other team related uh, topics, then probably there's something there. Um, and also the other way around, uh, I, I tend to notice that when there's an issue and one specific like topic, for example, the, there's a lot of pressure around. If you ask that question to several people, because normally in a process, you see several people and nobody mentions anything about it is because they're trying to avoid it. <laughs> so that's a tip that I, I normally use, uh, for that. And of course, if they don't mention anything, you can try to ask directly and you can see the faces of like, ah. <laughs> Um, but yeah. And, and all of us got rejected from interviews. Uh, how do you cope with them? Because I know people that somehow get depressed and, and maybe stop applying for a while yeah. and until they come up again. Uh, how, how do you try to not fall into that trap? Yeah, something that I tend to do, and this is general on like rejection or like failing on something, not specifically only for uh, being rejected on in an interview, is that I try to be patient with myself. Um, that's the most important part. Like if I want to feel bad, I let myself like feel bad. Uh, it's it's fine. Um, but I just make sure that I don't let myself go 
too deep in that. It's like, okay, I time box it, so to say. Like, okay, I'm going to let you feel bad for a couple of days. After that, that's it. Let's focus on the next thing. Um, because it's okay to feel bad and it's okay to feel rejected and it's okay to like all these uh, emotions. But at the same time, it's not the end of the world. And if it didn't work, it was because of something. Maybe you were not the rightest fit. Maybe it just didn't work out and that's it. Or it was something external that the process finished and you didn't make it to the last step uh, like faster. And that's not you. Um, so I, I just try to see it that way. Like I let me find myself feel bad, but then I just pick it up. It's okay. There are going to be more opportunities in the future. And if I am not making it here, I also make sure to ask for feedback uh, and understand what happened or like why my process didn't went through, because that way I can prepare myself better for the next time. Uh, so that's that's normally what I tend to do. And I, I think it's a kind of the way I tend to look at things. Like overall, it's like if it didn't work, it didn't work. I did my best. It's okay. Let's just ask for feedback, improve, see what's the next thing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Cool. Uh, I'm asking again for the same friend. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> how a junior uh, Android developer should get Nicole thumbs up? Uh, is it being too much technical or knowing all the APIs or uh, other stuff that you look at? Yeah, that's a, a really good question. Um, I feel like for juniors specifically, and not only juniors, but this is a general, like, uh, for people, I tend to focus mostly on the cultural feed, the eagerness of, like, learning new topics, and also how comfortable I feel talking with them during the interview, um, than, you know, the technical part of things. Like, the hard part, at least in my opinion, is the cultural fit and the energy that the people is bringing. The technical part can be learned afterwards, and that's totally okay, especially for juniors. I'm not expecting, like, you know, like they know everything. Um, so if they're eager, if they're like, uh, they research beforehand because they, you know, they, they are interested in what is happening, um, that's a huge uh, boost on like the grade they get on the interview. If we want more technical side of things, I am interested on like learning what they're learning and what are the things that they want to um, get better at. Um, why are they picking certain APIs over others? And also like seeing them keep themselves updated. That's also another huge uh, boost. Like I'm not expecting them to know like, you know, the front and the back and super deep about the APIs. <laughs> But unless like they know about the APIs uh, and they know what is the the new thing on Android, um, that also speaks beyond volumes. Let's go back to senior developers. What's what's your definition of being a senior developer? Sure. Um, how would I define a senior developer? For me, a senior developer is someone I can like trust to take a project from the beginning to the end with little supervision. That's basically how I define it. Um, someone that doesn't need a lot of handholding or support. And I am confident that they're just going to uh, take into account most of the edge cases. And it comes with experience, sadly. So that's, that's basically how I would define it. 
but does, does it mean that that senior developers should know everything or just know how to drive it? Yeah, no, it, it doesn't mean like nobody knows everything. Uh, me, at, like even at this stage, like I know all the APIs, but I probably forget like I need to do X or Y when I'm setting it up and it's totally fine. I can just Google it. So that's why it is there. Um, so I, I don't feel a senior developer is measured by the quantity of knowledge they have. It's more of their approach of things and planning overall. Um, like, yeah, I'm expecting them to know about the APIs. I am expecting them to know about the new things that are happening because I also expect them to be updated, but I'm not expecting them to know like everything from the get-go. So yeah, that's that's how I would define that part of a senior. Uh, you mentioned something about effective Googling. Uh, do you have <laughs> any any tricks, any any thoughts that can help a junior developer or even senior developer to get to answer much faster? Yeah, I mean, it depends on the scenario. Um, but I think it goes hand to hand on what I was mentioning about knowing about the APIs. I feel like keeping yourself updated on like what are the things that are coming up and what are the APIs that are over this puzzle. It's a huge help. Like you don't need to know like the deeps, as I said, and you don't need to know how to set them up, but at least you know about them. Like, hey, you need to do this uh, geofencing thing. And probably you hear about that in a talk or like you read about it. So you know that it exists. So you can like easily think about, oh, is this API? Let's Google it. So that's that's something that has helped me a lot, like keeping myself updated and and, and reading about different things that we can do. Uh, otherwise, I will say like just trying to Google the specifically, like you want control facts, trying to Google the specifically like for the Android documentation. I think these days is a really good resource. Um, back in my days, uh, Android documentation was a bit lacking, uh, but these days is really good. Uh, so if you want to look for something, probably there's already something in the documentation. And I highly recommend going there and also checking out the now in Android uh, code base. It has a lot of things that are already uh, covered in there. Yeah, yeah, that, that's that's the benefit those active attendees in meetups and uh, DroidCons somehow achieve, you know? True. You just go there, someone just share some idea, you're not going to use it tomorrow in your app, maybe. But at least at the back of your head, you you know such a thing exists. And, and when the topic comes up, you say, oh, I've heard this somewhere else. Exactly. But cool, yeah, thanks exactly. for mentioning it. And that's precisely what I tell everyone when they ask me like about these conferences and talks and meetups. The objective of those places is not to learn how to do these things or like to learn to apply them 100%. It's to know about them and to know they exist. Uh, so whenever someone mentions something similar, it's like, I heard about this before. So it's possible. And you can probably always reach out to the people that present it and ask about it. So <laughs> The next step is to morph it. And in order to morph something, the first step is to decide what properties in there you're going to be changing. This can be something like color, it can be something like size, and once you decide which, are which of these properties you're going to change, then you just need to change them smoothly over time, which coincidentally is the definition of morphing. Um, for those that have been here for some time, this sentence right there may sound familiar. 
And that's because some people use this phrase exactly to define animations. So yeah, you got us. Our process, in summary, is to create an animation. But in this case, instead of layering everything of the work inside the animation framework, we're going to be drawing each of the frames ourselves. Don't worry. We're going to get to it. Don't be scared. I'd like to know yeah, some of your technical opinions in general. Sure. Uh, don't you miss Java after using I, I don't. <laughs> I actually, I actually had to go back uh, a couple of years ago. I had a legacy code thing that I had to fix, and it feels so slow in Java. You have no idea. I keep messing up the, you know, semicolon at the end. It was like, why do we used to do this? <laughs> yeah, how people used to do that. Uh, let's say you go back to that for your time. Uh, which library from today you will? Get by yourself to that for your oh. time. And you only oh. have one one option. You want retrofit. That's it. <laughs> okay, okay. Retrofit. <laughs> that was easy. Yeah. That's so smart because it comes with OKSTP. Writing the thing with scale back then. So yeah, no. Yeah. Um, maybe uh, I kind of know the answer, but uh, what package in, in Android Jetpack you like the most and you use the most nowadays? These days, of course, Compose. Um, and of course, healed. Uh, but yeah, those are the big ones. I, I am also going to have always a special place in my heart for room. I know it's tricky and I know it has its, its failings, but I was, uh, working with pure SQLite at some point and room is so much nicer. Yeah. <laughs> so probably slow, but nice. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, talking about Jetpack Compose, uh, how did you get along with it? Uh, and if you're using actively and you're expert, uh, do you have any suggestion for for those apps that are already using the layouts and want to migrate to Compose? Sure. Um, I actually, when the Compose uh, crazy started, I was playing with Flutter. Um, so I kind of already had that... Uh, idea on building layouts uh, using the same format, so to say. So moving to the declarative UIs things was really straightforward for me. And it was a really nice, uh, refreshing way to see views on Android because XMLs and just like creating lists was for a reason that was one of the main interview uh, challenges because, you know, you had to know like about everything, recycler views, adapters, Sales, yada, yada, yada. So it was a really nice jump. And regarding suggestions, I would highly recommend that you think about going on a hybrid approach. Like, you know, we have uh, the composable view that you can add, even if you're using like XMLs or fragments and everything, you can start integrating Compose there. So I think at least for the beginning, that's a really nice approach. And it's easier to sell uh, to like managers and product people. Um, and it's going to improve your experience uh, with it. So that's my recommendation. Start small. Uh, and then when you have a better hang of it, then start going crazy. Okay. Uh, I think back in three or four years ago, I, I was hearing a lot about TDD in, in my interviews. Now, now it's not that much, but what do you think about TDD in Android? 
uh, is it uh, a reality or is it a myth? And have you ever, ever tried to do it? Yeah, that's, that's right. I, I don't hear it about it anymore. I didn't notice. Um, I work on teams that were trying to do it. Um, I personally have never seen it really applied on Android and mobile developer in general, in development in general. Um, so yeah, there were some plans, people like were writing the test beforehand and they were trying it out. But at the end, because there was always this rush of like getting features out, um, uh, tests got to the side, features got pushed and tests were at some point even for forgotten. Um, and, and, and some cases don't even like people didn't even went back and created them, which is a shame. Um, which I personally have never used CDD correctly, basically. Uh, so I, I have no experience with it. And I also don't feel that I am missing it, but like I am uh, lacking it. I feel like my way of coding, like just have the feature, start hacking at it, thinking about how I'm going to do it and then just doing it. And after the fact, creating the test uh, has worked for me so far. So like spinning it around, uh, I don't see the gain of it. Like if people is used to that, sure, it makes sense, but it, it doesn't like feels like I'm missing out basically. Yeah, true. And and you you mentioned uh, writing tests. Uh, when you estimate a ticket, how much time you dedicate to to testing? And and do you mention it during estimation, or you just say this is what I should do, and you don't need to, you don't like to leave anything left. It's it's been a while since I, I estimated tickets. I, I personally feel like estimations normally. Uh, complicate things uh this is my like um crazy idea about estimation so i frankly believe like estimation just uh, waste some time sometimes but when you need to estimate things and, and i give something i definitely consider you need testing for that um it depends on the task if the task is purely like uh kind of android backend uh like you're like trying to not know refactor um databases or like data layers or like something like that, I would consider kind of like just double the time for like testing and creating like tests because you're going to be testing those layers heavily. But if it's a feature that is mostly UI focused, uh, like changing the design of something, uh, I normally don't tend to unit test UI. I normally just tend to like uh, test uh, data layers or, and of course, view models. Um, so basically a business logic. So in those cases, I don't um, consider unit tests uh, at all. So it depends. If it's too UI focused, I would say like zero percent. Like I don't, I don't need it. Um, if it is like super heavy on that, I just double the time for tests and everything falling in between. Of course, just falls in between. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But yeah, definitely unit tests needs to be considered. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. And and what about code coverage? Uh, what do you think about this number? Does it mean a high code quality, or uh, some people even uh, discuss that higher code coverage means higher test maintenance, which is which is even even worse than having no test. Yeah, I I am also not a fan of test coverage uh, numbers. Um, in my experience, every time someone tried to enforce a certain level of test coverage, 
it just created like a sluggish field times because you were like doing the test coverage check and you ended up with a lot of tests that didn't make any sense at all or like we're just like reaching because someone asked them to write them so it was like just you know lazy tests uh, that's how i call them um i personally believe that if you have a nice guideline of like uh, what needs to be tested and just this when it makes sense i feel that that's enough um just requesting that the business logic is tested and you need to start reaching for those uh, parts of the code uh, should be enough. Uh, you don't need to enforce a number uh, to ensure quality. You don't need to like uh, go behind people like asking like, hey, your number like fall like two digits, whatever. Um, as just as, as the team agrees, like, hey, we're going to be testing for this and all PRs and all like things that involve your models and everything below needs to have units for that. That is enough. You should trust your teammates too. <laughs> yeah, I agree. It it really depends on project and team yes. setup and team team Yes, exactly. True. But yeah, yeah, I feel like just a number, random number there doesn't mean anything on the quality of the code or test or anything, but that's my opinion. I feel like just having a nice etiquette on like an agreement on what to test is, is, is enough, should be enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, Maybe currently in your team setup or in your ideal team setup, how do you like to uh, address tech debts? Do you like to have meetings and, and uh, I don't know, create tickets for them? Or how much time do you like to dedicate for them? Give me some idea about your thoughts about tech debts. Yeah, tech debt is, is, is the ongoing topic. Um, I have tried different approaches on, on different teams and... I never have felt like I arrived to the ideal solution for it. Um, the The way I see it now is like we should see our like projects or like uh, code base as an evolving thing, so to say. And whenever we are working on something and we're trying to improve it, um, we should also consider how much tech depth we're adding to edge, if so to say. So I feel like the best solution for tech depth is try to avoid it, basically. Uh, but once it's already there, um, the way that has worked the best for me is create tickets for it. Uh, and if the tickets are too big, uh, start creating small sessions. Uh, we used to have like a once a month session of like just squashing things and tech depth topics. Um, or like just like giving some space in between, like, hey, let's just take care of this if it's like uh, not working or if, if if we see something when we're working on something else, just fix it while you're there. Uh, but yeah, I don't, I don't have a silver bullet for you, sorry. Uh, but the way, as I said, that has best work for us is like just spend more time planning and thinking about the feature so we prevent uh, the most step that we, we can. Of course, it's not perfect and you always end up with tech debt. Uh, but yeah, just track it too. What's your definition of a good pull request? And also from the other side, what's your definition of a good code review? <laughs> yeah, um, those are interesting questions. So what is a good pull request? Of course, it needs to cover the basics. Like uh, it should have our own uh, code styling. It should be okay, like following our guidelines. Um, kind of all the basics, like having unit tests for the business logic, um, and just overall 
being a clean coach, like not, not talking about like clean architecture, just like whatever you wrote is understandable. It's following the style. Uh, the variables are correctly named the classes as well. Yada, yada, yada. Uh, but those are basic. After that, the next step is a pull request should be small, as small as possible, and it should only contain um, one ticket or feature, in my opinion. Like, if you're going to be, like, bundling, like, three, four changes in one PR that's going to have a higher, like, it would require higher time for people to review it and for that to be merged. So basically, the smaller the PR, the better, uh, the less like uh like uh what is a word like the less constrained feature like less a smaller packaged feature as well like not having multiple in there and if you're going to be creating like a super big feature that uh, it's going to involve a lot of changes instead of dropping a huge pr it's better to do it in iterations uh, normally that has worked a lot uh, for us is like adding feature flags for like for example you're working on this feature you set a feature flag on release, it's released and really plan how are you going to be releasing it. Like for example, if you're going to like release a new screen that is going to involve a lot of things, first release the data layer where you like add all the modules and repositories, then all the use cases that you're going to be using, yada, yada, yada. And at the end, just add everything that ties together um, and merge them directly, of course, to your main branch, not just create a massive long living branch. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's, that's, that's what has worked for us. Um, I'm going to the other side, uh, a nice code review. Uh, it's, I, I always find like code reviews are super hard when you don't have the context of what is being in there. So I always aim to try to understand first what the pull request is about. And I, oh, by the way, having a description on the PR is also really nice. Uh, what are the important classes being changed and what is the objective of the thing is also important, like not just linking the ticket. Um, but anyway, once you're on the code review, just accepting, of course, is not great. Like, at least I'm expecting them to, like, read through the uh, changes that are happening and try to understand it. And the changes that are posted make sense. Um, there, There's a nice kind of set of rules, set of etiquette that we, like, me and my team tend to use when we're doing pull requests, and that is categorize the comments that we're adding on a PR. Like, we have uh, ones that are, like, on the highest level that are, changes requested, like there's you spot something that is going to cause a bug or something that is just not making sense, just create a change request. If there's something uh, that is kind of just like a comment or a question or like you're not understanding that, it's a comment and you just like add a question or like comment or like start like trying to understand uh, the logic behind it. And the last one are just like... Um, preferential changes or like uh, things that you propose are not like necessary for the feature to work, but it's something that in your opinion would make uh, the code nicer. And that involves like uh, a better name for this variable, for example, or like instead of using an if else here, use a when uh, or things like that. Those kind of, of things, we call it needs. Uh, so it's just like nitpicking. Uh, and those should not block a code review. So basically, if you only add comments and needs, the PR can be approved and it shouldn't be blocked. If you add request changes, uh, if they are like critical, block the PR. If not, just, just not approve it. And that should be okay. 
Um, but basically the objective of like these three levels of things is like you can approve the PR even if you decided need some comments and you're going to believe or like trust in your teammate that it's going to go through them and apply the ones that make sense. So that's that's how I categorize a good code review. Like reading the code, categorizing it, and not just blocking because you think it should be named differently. That's not a blocker for the PR, basically. In in my last section, I like you to pick one of the options that I'm giving you. So it's sure. going to be fun. For for development tools, uh, which machine do you pick? Uh, a MacBook, a Windows PC, or a Linux machine? MacBook. Okay. Not my preferred, but anyway. <laughs> I'm used to it. <laughs> uh, you can always forget, but anyway. For uh, development language, uh, I think I know the answer. Java or Kotlin? <laughs> Kotlin. Okay. Uh, what about Dart or Kotlin? Uh, Kotlin. <laughs> um, for, for dependency injection, coin or hilt and dagger? Hilt. Okay, that's a big topic to fight, but let's let's skip. Uh, <laughs> what about concurrency solutions? RxJava or coroutines? Coroutines. Oh my god, don't you miss RxJava? No. <laughs> <laughs> I actually gave some talks on RxJava at some point. Mm -hmm. But yeah, mm -hmm. it's a monster. It still has some use cases, but for most cases on Android, coroutines work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but when you're the only solution, then everyone talks about it. Yeah. But uh, how do you use Git? Uh, do you use Terminal or some client? I kind of use a mixture of both. I, for most of the things, I use the Terminal. Uh, I use the GitHub desktop for like reviewing some changes sometimes. But for most of the time, I'm just using a Terminal. And uh, do you merge or rebase? Rebase. Okay. And which architecture do you prefer? MVC, MVP, MVVM, MVI, or any other M? <laughs> Another M, MVVM. Uh, right now, I have the feeling that the community is kind of divided between uh, Twitter and Mastodon. What, which one do you pick? I I am not a huge social media user, I must add. Um, but these days, I am trying to use Mastodon more. Um, just because, I mean, I don't use... Most like I don't use it a lot, so I just check Mastodon first. I still check Twitter from time to time, um, but not a lot, just because a lot of people still use it. Uh, but I'm trying to get away from it. As a last question, <clears throat> as a woman in tech, do you have something to say to women uh, to encourage them to to join the fund? Um, sure. I would say like. Don't be afraid. Uh, if you're really interested on like learning or like uh, growing as an engineer, I would really suggest to find a safety net. Uh, just find other woman developers, uh, find other woman interested on like the topics you're interested uh, because that helps a lot. Like having another person where you can just even just rant about it helps helps a lot uh, coping with things. I know it's not perfect, uh, but it's it's getting better. So it's it's good. It's a good time to be a developer, in my opinion. Cool. And uh, how people can reach and talk with you on social network or any other platform that you are? 
Yeah, sure. Um, as I said, I am not a huge social uh, media user, uh, but you can find me at Nicole uh, underscore Turk, or you can also find me at Nicole dash Turk in some places. Don't ask about why the dash on the underscore. Um, in Git, Twitter, I mean, GitHub, Twitter, and Mastodon. And LinkedIn too. Thanks for joining me. It was incredible talking with you. And it was really nice. Thank you. And it, it's really encouraging uh, talking about women in tech. And uh, I, I really like these talks because one of my goals is to share with junior developers how, how the community is fun. And uh, I like to ask people uh, if they like such uh, interviews. I do a lot on my channel, including all the Android tips and tricks and videos about technical Android things that you can do and enjoy more about the Android platform. So feel free to like, subscribe and share share this talk if you if you liked mm. it. And this talk is also available as a podcast. So you can find the link in the description if you're not already hearing it as a podcast. <laughs> Thanks for Great. being here, Nicole. Thank you for everything. And thank you for having me. Have fun. Bye. Bye.